Good afternoon, everybody. It's just past the hour, so um, great to have you here. I hope you enjoyed your extra hour of sleep, unless, of course, you have young children, and they take no notice of that whatsoever. So uh, anyway, thank you for coming. Um, we're going to be into 1 Corinthians 6. Don't, let's not, I don't want that up on the screen at the moment, but that's, if you've got a Bible, pop your finger in there, 1 Corinthians 6, because we're going to be there in a moment or two, and that'd be good. Well, this series is called Vital Signs, and really it's taking uh, Vital Signs, Healthy Christian, Healthy Church. That's really the series that we're doing. Healthy Christian, Healthy Church, what are the vital signs? And this morning, now this afternoon, I'm going to be talking about the gift of sex. Yeah, you heard me. And um, look, if you're a visitor here this morning, please nudge the person next to you and say, why did you bring me here this morning? How could you, I mean, uh, what, what's the agenda here? Uh, uh, listen, if you're a visitor here, <laughs> we, they're here every week, so don't, don't think you're singled out. Um, if you're a visitor here, uh, thank you so much for coming. Look, if nothing else, you'll have something to talk about at the end of the meeting, I am sure. So, um, you know, and <laughs> yesterday, if you think you were caught by surprise, yesterday I was having my hair cut at the barber's. Uh, is I go to this place, I've been there, going there for years, because you make connections with people, and then when Christmas comes along, you can invite them to this, or Easter comes along, you can invite them. Why? Because you know them. And so I'm there, I'm having my hair cut, and um, the cutter next to me, not the one who's doing my hair, the one cutter next to me says, uh, says, are you speaking tomorrow? I said, yeah, I am. I could hear this one coming down the track. See, and uh, it was like a steam train, building up steam. So there's a sudden pause, there's a little pause, and then she said, what are you speaking on? I said, I'm speaking on sex. In the shop, there was a pause. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was this laughter, just like that, nervous laughter. You know. uh, and, and then the guy who's cutting my hair, he said, you know, you're really speaking about sex? I said, yes. He said, what? In church? I just love that. <laughs> yes, in church. God has something to say about sex. So I, I was just telling him about the introduction that I'm going to come with today. They were intrigued by that. Um, and I picked this up from James Emery White, who's the senior pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church in South Carolina. And he does a series on sex called <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey, which I know most of you would not have a clue I think you do. Okay, Fifty Shades of Grey, and uh, that's what he entitled his series. And so I'm going to use this introduction that, is, that he used. So, um, who had cereal this morning? Who had a bowl of cereal? Who had a bowl of cereal? Your hands right up. Come on, it's nothing to be shown. It's not a trick question. See, more hands. Not a trick question. Okay, who had cornflakes? Right, oh, thank you. So, and for, the, and for, for those of you who had cornflakes, and for those of you who didn't put your hands up and had cornflakes, did you know that this was first developed in an effort to curb your impulses to have sex? Want to change your cereal? 
I'm selling Rice Krispies and Cocoa Pops at the end of the... No, I'm not. It's just... Uh, listen, apparently they were developed by a physician who believed that sexual activity and masturbation were more harmful to the human race than plague, war, smallpox, and other diseases. And the solution he came up with was cornflakes. Well, bless you. Anyway, uh, his name was Dr. John Harvey Kellogg. And he believed it would diminish the sex drive, uh, which he felt should be diminished, even if you were married. So because he reckoned that sexual activity caused diseases, cancer, insanity, listen, all number of ailments, and I do not have time to run through the list. But that, that's what he believed. Folks, we've been getting a lot of wrong stuff about sex for a long time. In the 1940s, the academics of the day said that sex was an appetite. You know, just like that for food. And once we recognized that and simply had sex whenever we wanted, with, I think, whoever we wanted, then we would cease to be driven mad by sexual desire. That was the sort of academic thinking of the day. And C.S. Lewis responded. This was in the 1940s. C.S. Lewis responded and said, we are not starving for sex. There is more sex available than ever. Well, if that was the 1940s, what is it like now? I mean, oh my goodness me. Listen, this, I mean, pornography is one of the biggest worldwide industries there is. It's sex still sells. People have not got bored of it. It still sells. So we may have been getting things wrong for a long time, but it's definitely on our minds. Uh, the publishing of the phenomenon by E.L. James of the of Fifty Shades of Grey, I mean, that, in 2012, that blockbuster proved it. So, it's clearly on our minds. And it's clearly on the minds of the people that Paul is writing to here in 1 Corinthians 6. So, so let's read it, shall we? 1 Corinthians 6. Thank you. Let's pop that up. Here we go. We're going to start at verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolatrous, nor adulterous, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I'll not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead 
and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. This uh, section I've taken here, and it's, there's such a lot in it, so... But I'm just, it's a bigger, it's a bigger picture that goes right the way through chapter 7. And it covers the whole aspect of not only sex, but marriage as well. So perhaps a better way of putting this morning for a question would be, why is sex such a big deal to God? I think that's a fair question. Come on, why is sex such a big deal to God? I mean, it's obviously important. And that's, that's why we're talking about it. But do you know there's hardly a letter, there's hardly a letter that Paul writes where he hasn't got something to say in regard to sexual con- uh, conduct to the people of God. Now listen here, I'm talking to the people of God. That's who he's writing to. He's not writing to the culture at large, he's writing to the people of God. And in this particular letter... Paul gives it a little bit more airtime. And I just want to take the moment to extract some biblical principles from there. So, or perspectives would be a better word, really. So, first of all, let's do context. Because it's helpful to understand the context in which this is written. Corinth has its particular context. It was universally well-known. It was Corinth was well-known. It had a reputation. So there was a phrase was to act like a Corinthian, which, was to, which meant to indulge in sexual immorality. That's what it was, to act like a Corinthian. So that was, a, that was an in-phrase of the day. Corinth... I tell you what, Corinth. Corinth would outdo any European city that we have that is a notable hotspot for men's stag do's and, uh, and ladies' hen nights. I mean, just outdo them. I mean, Magaluf and whatever would have nothing on Corinth, believe me. Uh, a visit to Corinth, phew, that was a big event. And like many cities in our day, here in the, in the UK, it was culturally and ethnically very diverse. You can see that in the places that they worshipped. There were 26 sacred places devoted to numerous gods. You know, the far, by far the most prominent was known as the Acrocorinth, which is a hill 1,850 feet high, and on which stood the temple of Aphrodite, who's the Greek goddess of love. 
It dominated the city. You could not miss it. Deliberately done like that. And it was administered by a thousand priestesses who were sacred prostitutes and plied their trade in the evening. They would come down from the temple in the evening, ply their trade in the city. So the cult was dedicated to the glorification of sex. That was life in Corinth. Now, let's not be naive. The church isn't immune from these matters. What's out there? And we have a culture. I'll pick up that in a moment. What's out there to some extent will be in here. It's just the way it is. I mean, this is not a perfect, we're not a, we're not a bunch of perfect people. So what's out there will to some extent be in here. So this may be uncomfortable for some. I suspect I will step on a few toes today. But my objective, and please hear me now, it's not, and my objective is not to beat us with the truth. It's not to do that. It's to lay it out in front of us. God has something to say. You know, if this is on our mind, it's on God's mind too. And he has something to say. So Paul's writing to the church. Not the unchurched. He's writing to the church. It's important you get that. And God has something to say. You know, God God created man and woman. This is our perspective. We're God-designed. We are God-fashioned. We are crafted by God. We are made in the image of God. That's what the Bible says. You know, Adam and Eve didn't emerge from the bushes one day, all flushed and breathless, and then announce, hey, Lord, you'll never guess what we've just come up with. They didn't do that. Why? Because sex was God's idea. Pleasure's God's idea, not the devil's. He made us this way. Male and female. Sex, my friends, is not only a good thing. It's a God thing. And that's why it's a gift. So, view verse 9. So if you look at verse 9, and I don't blame you for going very quiet on me. I understand this. Verse 9, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Um. This is not a list of the most awful sins. I just want to highlight that. And furthermore, the sexual aspect of the list tends to get more press than the rest, which I think says more about us than it says about the list or the people committing these acts. This isn't a graded list going from worse to less worse. He expands the sexual aspect Because it's particular to the culture of Corinth. That's why he does it. In many instances, 
young men sold themselves as mistresses for the sexual pleasure of older men. And then Paul writes in verse 11, that is what some of you were. Some of you were like this. But he says, now in Christ it's different. You're washed, sanctified, justified in Jesus Christ by his spirit. In other words, live like it. That's the bottom line. You are washed, sanctified, justified. You were like this. Now you're like this. Live like it. So, two things I want to just highlight from this part here. Right behavior should not be perceived as coming first. It should be perceived as following God's grace, not to earn God's grace. Behavior always follows salvation. It's always that way. It's not the other way around. Otherwise, this is seen as a, an, an entrance exam to be passed, a test to be taken. No, grace first. Behavior follows. Second point I want to make here, and that is this. Those who concern themselves with grace without equal concern for their behavior miss the point. You are now in Christ. (laughs) Live like it. That's what he's saying. Please note this. You know, some Christians excuse themselves for their conduct, all sorts of conduct, under the, under the flag-waving umbrella of, we're now living in grace. Well, we're now living in grace. Doesn't matter. No, it, it, listen, it's as if they bear no responsibility to the way they live. That is not gospel. You are washed, sanctified, justified, Live in it. That's the point. So here comes the phrase. It's inverted commas in verse 12. You'll see this phrase here. And here it is. But it goes, everything is permissible for me. See, most commentators will say that's a, that's a saying of the day. So they would say this in Corinth. Everything's permissible for me. It's okay. Everything's permissible for me. I can do anything. Let's be free. Anything goes. Follow your feelings. You know. Do you remind you of a culture? Yeah. And then uh, if it feels good, do it. Everything is permissible for me. Here's the one. I'd be a rich man for a pound every time I heard this one said. Whatever you do, be true to yourself. That's a real stock line. Whatever you do, be true to yourself. How often, though, has somebody said that and it's been at the expense of being true to someone else? Whatever you do. His reply is, look, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So, you're still with me? You've gone very quiet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, what's coming next? Uh, let's... Look, there's Greek, there's, a, there's the way of thinking that goes on that is behind this. There's a philosophy of, you know, this is how they, this is how they lived. 
And it's a philosophy of thought that's still popular today. So you can take this part of the philosophy and you can put it into our culture. It works. And so the view is, one view is this. I'll give you two, but one view is this. The body was perceived as secondary to the soul. A sort of a, a separate compartment. You know, the most important part of me is the soul. The spiritual part of me. What happens to my body, actually, it's of no consequence. It's irrelevant. It's purely material. It's just physical. What you do with your sex life, therefore, is irrelevant. Sex is just an appetite. You know, feel hungry, eat food. Feel sexy, have sex. You know, that's, that's the appetite stuff. The uh, album goes like this. It's a, ages ago, you probably heard it. You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals. Let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. Now, listen. This, but we're not mammals. My friends, we're not animals. Even as some would say. You know, you've seen the documentaries, haven't you? You've seen them. Two lions lying out in the open. One male, one female. And the female periodically walks in front of the male. And then... Having walked in front of the male, falls over, lies on her back, lies on her side, gets up again, and then goes through the whole process again. Walking backwards and forwards, falling on her back, falling on her side. This, by the way, is mating season. It's to excite him. I found that interesting. It's in their DNA, it's in the blood. The female isn't thinking, I, the female isn't thinking, you know, I really want to be clear. I just want to know if you love me. She's not thinking that. And I, I, the female lioness to the lion is not, not thinking, are you sure it's not my body you're just after? Are you sure? Or, you know, I'm not sure you're as committed in this relationship as I am. It's a, this is my friend, it's purely biological. Nothing else is going on. But we are not animals. That is the point. Now the other view is this. So that was one view. Now the other view was that the body isn't just secondary, like a compartment. The other view is, it's bad. The body is bad. It's just, the other view that was going on at the time is suspicious of anything physical. Perceived it as self-indulgent. Even dirty. And some of the most prudish people come to places like this. Religious people. Some of the most prudish are the religious people. Suspicious of sex, let alone enjoying it. I mean, get married if you have to, but don't, you know, don't, be, don't be doing that stuff. You know? Paul addresses this in 1, in 1 Timothy 4. Because there's teaching going on, and there's heretical teaching going on about, I know, you wish that wasn't going off, but it is. <laughs> I'm not going to name you, Carol. <laughs> so, so Timothy, uh, Paul writes this to Timothy, he says, and, and he's scathing. He says, such teaching comes from hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. Here it goes. They forbid people to marry. <clears throat> don't, you don't do that. 
They forbid people to marry. And actually, it was in the name of godliness. You forbid people. You know, it still happens in large sections of the church. Priests are not allowed to marry. Now, the philosophy of the day was that that, that, that secondary philosophy is that the body is bad. Anything physical is bad. And, And along the way, religious people skewed something into it. Now, some would say that St. Augustine was a primer for this, that he, he really, really got the wheels moving on this. And I've just been reading something the other day uh, about his life, and it's, it's probably suspected that he, he just was a sexual addict. And so when he became a Christian, he just bolted down the doors, you know, really harsh on this. Not good. Boom. And, um, and that's where this teaching started, this teaching came from, from that aspect. But it isn't true. And it isn't right. God made us with a body. He created us with a body. Jesus graced us with a body. Flesh bones the lot, you know. God came as a man, in a body. God smiled through a body. God had compassion through a body. God was sorrowful through a body. In Genesis 1, God creates the heavens and the earth and the stars. Listen, it's all physical. And what's more, at the end of all that creation, he says, what does he say? It's good. He said it's good. And then he creates man and woman. And what does he say then? It's very good. He says it's very good. So, God has a high view of sex. The Bible has a high view of sex, a wonderful perspective of sex, a sacred perspective of sex. Because it's so wonderful, and so powerful. That is why it is such a big deal to God. Because it's so intimate between a man and a woman. It's so wonderfully intimate. God produced a context for that. And the context is marriage. That is the context. And if to make it absolutely clear, and Jesus refers to this passage when he's talking about marriage. He refers to this passage as if God makes it absolutely clear right at the very beginning, Genesis 2, he says, for this reason, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That ought to pop up on the screen here. This is for this reason, a man will be, leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Do you know, this is, listen, please hear this. This is special. And so, it just the verse before that, you get the first recorded poetry in the Bible, where Adam responds to Eve and the wonder of her and says, this is my bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Now, you may not think it's the greatest poetry in the world, but it is poetry. Something responds in him 
deep with him in. And it's like a sharp intake of breath. <gasps> wow. Bone of my bone. Flesh of my flesh. She's altogether other. It's a wonderment. She strikes a deep chord in him. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So because it's so precious, God gave us one context for this. And the context is marriage between a man and a woman. This, I know, isn't popular today. I know it goes against the grain of our culture. I know too, this will affect some of us here today. I know that. Living in the culture that we live, I just want you to know, I would guess that there aren't many who have steered through clear waters in regards to this. I don't think there's many. We live in a sexualized culture. I don't think many have steered clear, steered through. So verse 13 goes, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. Let me just be clear about this, what the context is for sexual immorality. It's this. It rules out men and women having sex with one another outside marriage. Just spelling it out here. This is what it means. You want to understand the full extent of that. It means it rules out men having sex with men. He's already said that in verse 9. Made that clear. It rules out women having sex with women. You'll find that in other parts of the Bible. It rules out men and women having sex with someone who is married to someone else. That's called adultery. God says this is off limits. He does not say, he does not say as some Christians might put across, that sexual sin is unforgivable. He doesn't say that. I should know. Listen, I made my mistakes. Uh, my hands were not clean. I went through a period of time and I knew God. I went through five years of uh, backsliding, what's what we call backsliding, just, just doing my own thing, not wanting God involved. My hands were not clean. But as I come to this, my friends, this is God's word and he's clear. The body is not made for sexual immorality. Just stay with me one minute here, because this is an important line. If there is a God who has a timeless ethical standard, in other words, it stands right the way through time, it's obvious to me that it would conflict with every culture and every generation. It's obvious to me it would do that. It, it has to. We move our ideas and our philosophies of life. and We move them to and fro. God is timeless. He has an ethical standard. It's going to clash. This is God's word. You know, last week we, we had a gift day. and We did a bit of that today as well. And one of the things about the gift day, we said, 
come on, we want to, we want to, we want, we want to, I think we wanted to gasp when we gave. You know, we want to take a step of faith. So there'll let, let be a faith gap. You know, take a step of faith as we gave. And uh, we stepped out in faith and we gave. We need to live in faith as well as give in faith. We need to live in faith as well as give in faith. This is not easy. A church of our size, I tell you, is, has all sorts of situations, all sorts of reasons to continue as you are. But we're coming to God's word. And he wants the best for you. Some of the reasons you will give, and I hear these, some of the reasons I'm not ready to commit. I, I hear that. I'm not ready to commit. I'm ready to commit to live with the person. I'm ready to commit to share food with the person and cook and wash up. I'm ready to commit to that. I'm ready to share a bed with the person. I'm ready to do that. But I'm not ready to commit. I'm ready to share a bathroom. I mean, that's commitment. I'm ready to share a bathroom with a person. I, that's a major commitment, I think. You know. I'm, re- I'm not ready to commit. Wow. That's quite a commitment you're already making. Why aren't you ready to commit? I often find that one person is not ready to commit, but the other one is. What's that saying? How does that work between the two? Is somebody getting the rough end of the deal here? I hear that. Secondly, it's cheaper to live together. We live in an expensive culture, not just a sexualized one. Expensive. It is exp- it's cheaper if we live together. Um, <laughs> do you know what? Sometimes, my friends, you just need to get on and do it. Christians, if you're in this place, look, just get on and do it. Just get married. If you're going to make that level of commitment to the person, Christians, just do it. If you're waiting to, for your savings so that you'll be able to splash out on a big wedding day. Don't. Don't do it. Don't do it. Just get on with it. Get on with it. I'm just, you'll feel a lot better for it. You'll be, believe you're going God's way. Do you know what? We, 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 we spend too much, too much attention to the wedding day and not enough to the marriage. That's our culture. Christians, we bought into it as well. Don't think we haven't. This is them out there and this is us in here. We're much, it's not like that. I see it. Do you know, one wedding we went to and was invited. I took it, actually. I took the wedding. And it was a couple. And they, uh, we, we had the wedding in the Huna room, uh, which is up in the top part of the center. And just a room. This couple, we, had, we didn't have any worship. I can't think we did. I don't think we had a worship. But we, uh, they had coffee and tea and cakes afterwards. It was as thin down as you can get it. It was just before Christmas. And it snowed. So there were no cars on the road. And we walked into the center. They arrived in jeans. Uh, I had a, 
I had a suit all sorted out and got myself all sorted out. But they weren't going to marry in that sort of stuff. They were going to marry in jeans. And um, so I took off my tie and jacket, sort of decluttered as much as I could. And, and we, had this, we had this wedding ceremony. I tell you what, it's as powerful as any I've had with all the paraphernalia. Believe me. Do you know the wedding ceremony itself, that part where the two people make those vows, they do it before God and they do it before others who are their witnesses. This is a covenant that is made. I tell you, it's big. It's so weighty. has such an impact. It stands on its own. We had no special poems. And I'm not against all of that. And we know special music, and my friend can do this and that. And, but none of that, just that bit. And a short talk afterwards, which is a miracle, because I did the talk. So, sometimes, you know, it, we spend too much on the wedding day. It's about the marriage, and it holds up, my friends. It holds up. Believe you me, it does. It takes faith to respond to the gospel. This gospel is free, but it is not cheap. This costs Jesus everything. And we respond in faith. Well, we need to respond in faith in living out the gospel. That is true. So, Paul goes on to say, Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute. Well, you can understand the context here in Corinth, but he said, it's about your body. You are more than just a body. This is what he's saying. You know, the two become one. Sex is not a mere joining of physical parts. It isn't that. It's much deeper than that. It involves the whole person. It's designed to be a radical giving of oneself. It's it is the fire in the fireplace. Do you know, it's the only place for the fire is in the fireplace. Put it anywhere else, it produces damage. It's that intimate. It's that deep. It's that powerful. It loses its wonder when we reduce sex to mere recreation. It just loses its wonder. Great damage is done when it's not appropriate. Deep wounds are inflicted. Immense betrayal is felt humiliation, violation, these are words that are often used in regard to this, where people have felt used and abused. In the film, I'm coming towards the end here, in the film, Vanilla Sky, Tom Cruise plays a man about town who ends up having a fling with a beautiful blonde that he was never serious about. And she cannot handle the breakup. She pursues him to the point of stalking. And when she finally corners him, she says... Don't you know that when you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise whether you do or not? I just thought, what a profound line. Sex is such a disclosure of ourselves. Don't you know what you do, Christians? Christ lives in you. He lives in you. Wherever you go, he goes. Whatever you're involved with, he's there. He said he's done, never leave you. He'll never forsake you. We implicate him in what we do. And in some mystical way, we drag him into our mess. So, 
Don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You know what goes on in temples? Worship. Worship is profound. Worship is deep. Worship is intimate. Worship is wonderful. Worship is wonderful. Don't you know? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, honor God with your body. You were washed, sanctified, justified by Jesus Christ. Go on then. Live in it. I realize that has all sorts of implications. And I realize there are lots of complexities around this. I get all of that. But you can make a start today. I want to go this way. I'm not sure I know how to, but I want to go this way. You can make a start today. And you could live honoring God with your body and walking by faith in this gospel which so wonderfully changes you. Amen? Right. Can we put up Psalm 130? And Simon and the band, if you could come up, that would be very, very helpful. Let me read these words out to you. Do you know, some of you, we, some of you, you've been tainted by this stuff. There's broken vows, pornography, which nowadays seeks you. You don't have to go seeking it. It'll seek you. Some people are just magnetized to this stuff. There's broken vows. There's places, wrong choices that we made. There's all sorts of stuff in here, in this room. And these are the words of this psalm. Lord, if you keep in mind our sins, then who could ever get an answer to his prayers? But you forgive. What an awesome thing this is. That is why I wait expectantly, trusting God to help, for he has promised. I long for him more than sentinels long for the dawn. So, hope in the Lord. For he is loving and kind and comes to us with armloads of salvation. Do you like that? Armloads. We're going to stand and we're going to read that out together. For some of you, this is what you want to take even now. For some of you, you want to take this now. Lord, I've heard what you said. I want to make steps. This is my first step. So we're going to say, say this all together. Let's go. Lord, if you keep in mind our sins, then who could ever get an answer to his prayers? But you forgive. What an awesome thing this is. That is why I wait expectantly, trusting God to help, for he has promised. I long for him. More than sentinels long for the dawn. So hope in the Lord, for he is loving and kind and to us with armloads of salvation. Hallelujah. Ron.